This week's episode is brought to you in partnership with Zero Procure, who are here to make procurement simple, offering great value and quality for products and services, all for zero cost. And what business wouldn't want that? I am delighted that their support will now help keep this show accessible and free to listen to wherever you access your podcasts. Please get in touch with them for a chat. Just click on their link in the show notes or visit their site at zeroprocure.com forward slash podcast. Welcome to Hospitality Meets with me, Phil Street, where each week we take a light-hearted look into the stories and individuals that make up the wonderful world of hospitality. Today's guest is Matt Townley, Regional Operations Director for Dakota Hotels and All-Round Industry Champion. Coming up on today's show... Matt reveals that he likes renovating people. I, I remember one day after we renovated David. Phil is humbled by Matt. Well, I feel like I want to give you a round of applause, man. That's a, it's a hell of a journey. It is a hell of a journey. And Matt gets us wondering what he did to leave him like this. And to this day now, we, we look back at that moment and I'm, st- I'm going red actually talking to you. All that and so much more as we chat through Matt's fabulous career story so far. Matt has terrific energy for hospitality, something that we do talk about, and he has built himself a wonderful career so far. To this day, he is a positive force for hospitality and we are very lucky to have him. A huge thank you to him for giving up his time. We're here each week telling the stories of the amazing people within hospitality, so please don't forget to give us a like, share and a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening. It really does make a huge difference. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to the next episode of Hospitality Meets with me, Phil Street. I've been super excited about getting today's guest on for some time as he's absolutely one of the great personalities of our industry. His career has taken him through some very recognisable hotel brands, including De Vere, Principal, Malmaison, and now Dakota, where he finds himself as the Regional Operations Director. I am, of course, talking about the awesome Matt Townley. Welcome to the show, Matt. Thanks, Phil. Thanks very much. That's a, uh, to be alongside some industry titans that you've interviewed and done podcasts with before. That's a very nice welcome. Thanks very much. Oh, you're on a you're a titan in the making, mate. No, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, not yet. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't know what, what what point do you become a titan? That's uh, because there's legend as well. Yeah, we've had some legends uh, on, but is is titan higher? Than a legend? Yeah, I think so. I think hopefully today, when when we go through sort of the journey that I've had, I can probably allude to some titans that I've been very, very sort of fortunate to work alongside in in the, in the last sort of fifteen years. Yeah, nice one. How are you anyway? Really well, really well. Can't complain. It's uh, raining in Manchester as usual. Great as <laughs> usual. It's, it's been quite nice, but yeah, I, th- I think that the token joke about rain in Manchester, we had to get that in somewhere. But yeah, really well. Business is really strong. The two cities, Manchester and Leeds, are performing really well, so can't complain at all. I had heard a rumour that it's grim up north. Can you qualify that or not? Being a being a scouser, <laughs> I would definitely disagree with that. But, you, you know, the, there's some dark days in Manchester, especially when Manchester City lift league titles and, and, and bits and pieces. Oh. But I'm, I'm, I'm buoyed today by another Liverpool victory last night against Aston Villa. Oh, and, you're uh, right. Good. We're, still in the, we're still in the title chase and still chasing that quadruple. Indeed, I'm definitely not going to make this podcast about the uh, the title chase, but um, but I'm a Liver- I'm a Liverpool fan as well, so um, yeah, we're we're still in the running. I don't hold out much hope, but anyway, one one game at a time. Indeed. Yeah. So where are you recording today? That's a that's a nice looking room you're in. Yeah, indeed. I'm in the boardroom in Dakota, Manchester. So I split my time between Manchester and Leeds in my role. Manchester is the sort of flagship of Dakota. I opened this hotel in 2019 and sort of it, it, it's the biggest 
biggest revenue generator and biggest profit generator in the brand. Therefore, you have to really sort of keep your eye on the finger on the pulse in Manchester. Yeah, got you. Well, we'll, we'll definitely come on to Dakota through the, the midst of this chat and learn about what you're up to uh, and what you've got going on. I remember actually, because obviously I'm a recruiter, so my first contact with you was was a, an attempt to headhunt you, oh God, years ago. Uh, but you weren't having any of it because you were um, you were very happy where you were and that was great. But we've kind of loosely kept in touch and I've always, I just like your energy for this industry. You just seem to be exactly where you're supposed to be. Yeah, I, I think... Uh... First and foremost in the podcast, I'm your, I'm your biggest super fan, Phil. So I was I was really looking forward to this today. I've listened to them all, so so some really impressive nice. ones. Um, and certainly, uh, yeah, I think energy. We can talk about brand. We can talk about energy, and, and and I certainly believe that energy, you know, is synonymous with hospitality. Hotels are, are living, breeding animals. You know, with a lack of energy, they become flat. And you, and you know, ultimately, energy is fun. So hospitality is about having fun phil you know it, we have to have fun we have to inject energy at every corner we turn whether that be in the kitchen in housekeeping front desk concierge you know energy is really important yeah absolutely well it's all about the overall experience isn't it? it's not just about the guest experience it's about Indeed. everybody's experience that comes into into yeah. the business but uh great right well let's go all the way back then let's uh, start where what 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 was the first moment where you thought I I need to go and work in hospitality? Yeah, so I think Phil, I'm one of these sort of boffins that knew from sort of day dot I wanted to be a hotel general manager. So I think that's right. that's really you know I knew straight away. I was very fortunate at the age of sixteen to go and work for Queen's Moat House Hotels. You'll remember them um, yeah. in the in yeah in the, in the Liverpool branch, and you know. I often reminisce about that that hotel in Liverpool being sort of the darling of the, of the Liverpool industry at the time. It had been a holiday in prior. It had been placed latterly under a compulsory purchase order for the Liverpool One uh, Groves in the project. Um, right. So it was just a magical, magical place. So I was 16. I'd gone straight in as part-time work while I was finishing off, I think, A-levels at the time, running breakfast shifts, etc. And I was super lucky, Phil, because what happened was once that compulsory purchase order started to sort of really take shape and you saw the development that, that was um, going to be the sort of capital culture in 2008 in Liverpool, but we're talking sort of seven or eight, nine years before that, you started to see lots of the full-time team members leave and, and go and sort of, they knew the hotel was going to be closed and, and, and essentially demolished. Right. So it just opened up a whole world of opportunity for me at the age of 16, 17. So I'd, I'd find myself, I remember it at Christmas time, sort of, I must have been 16, 17, and they were short of a conference and banqueting supervisor in the, in, in the, in the function suite, which held sort of five, 600 people. So at 17, I was half running a banquet for, for 500 people, which was pretty crazy at the time. But yeah. I also found myself sort of in a concierge role at the, at the age of 17. And listen, we all know concierge and, and, the, and the, the Golden Keys brothership, you know, it, it's, it's absolutely incredible. And that really opened my eyes to hospitality. And I really cemented my love for the industry there. And I, I often look back and think, what did I get from that role? And, you know, I, I, I look back at times, Grand Nationals always one that sticks out in the memory. Grand National is obviously huge for, for Liverpool, the Grand National meeting. And there wasn't really many other competitive hotels in Liverpool at the time. So we'd have all of the horse race, um, all the horse owners and, and, and the riders and the jockeys, sorry, um, staying in the hotel. And 
I just remember working alongside a, a middle-aged guy, we'll call him Terry. Um, God rest him, he's, he's <laughs> passing. Yes. Do, Terry... do, you need an, do you need an actor to do his voice? <clears throat> yeah. Ter- Listen, Terry was Terry was a an ind- he's an industry legend in Liverpool, certainly, and he, he was a career waiter, and he taught me everything I knew about waiting tables. And as a 16, 17-year-old, honestly, Phil, I remember, don't tell a tax man, but walking out with thousands of pounds in cash tips because you've got racehorse owners chucking money around and it was just right. absolutely brilliant and really sort of really cemented my love for the industry in the sort of last year i had started university I, I, I attended liverpool john moore's university and i studied tourism and hospitality so in my sort of first two years of university i was i was part-time in inverted commas at queen's motels liverpool but I, I was actually in a full-time salaried role so i was bouncing an early shift off, a, off a, an afternoon lecture and then a morning shift right. off a, another afternoon lecture. So, so I worked full time in my first two years, which was which was challenging to say the least, but great fun. Well, that's I mean, that sounds like it's kind of almost the best of both worlds because you're you're getting some theoretical knowledge within you. But then you're mm-hmm. able to go out into the real world and yeah. and put some of it into practice. Yeah. And I think that's critical. You know, so I am. Um, I've had about seven mentees from Manchester Met University over the last sort of six or seven years. And the biggest, biggest, you know, downfall some graduates have these days, they come out with a piece of paper, but just don't have any experience. And I think the way the industry's moving just now and the, the recruitment opportunities that we've got, you know, experience is absolutely critical. So, and, yeah. and, I, and I stand by that. Yeah. From there, I um, I moved on because the hotel closed. Um, so that experience was really key as it took me into my into the next role. Yeah, I, I uh, relate to you on the getting the experience element as well. Mm-hmm. I had the op- opportunity to go and study a, a a fourth year degree, but opted to just take the three year degree and go out. I just felt that I needed the experience now. Plus, I was getting a little bit bored of academia, to be honest, and I just yeah. needed to get some practical experience. And then you look at the people who stayed behind and did, did the four-year degree, and you're already a year ahead of them in yeah. the uh, in the midst. And I'm not saying that that's the only path, but certainly I think it's, it's critical, uh, I think, early doors to identify getting the balance right between mm-hmm. getting some qualification behind you if you can. It's not essential, but then backing it up with practical experience. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely not essential, and I often talk to young graduates now that are just about to finish and embark on their careers. And I often say, I, I look back at my degree and, you know, I did quite well. I was quite lucky that Liverpool at the time was was about to take on this capital of culture in the, in the medium term future. So, so it was all about urban tourism and looking at tourism. But I always said, I always say to people, I probably didn't use my degree till about five, six, seven years later when, when you really sort of, communicating professionally and talk and in boardrooms you know that that's when it really came to the fore for me so, so yeah experience absolutely vital yeah did you have a, a subject that you really excelled in over all others I, I, I was terrible academically Phil if I'm honest I, right. I, I enjoyed I, I enjoyed listen you know you know I enjoyed university uh, my my parents are both educated to, to degree level in geography both geographers um right. But, but, you know, I always had a vision. I, I wasn't the son of a hotelier or, or, or hotels don't run in my family, you know, so I had a vision. So once I finished my A-levels, which I absolutely despised that type of study, I knew I had a vision. So I knew I wanted to be a GM. I knew I wanted to take on hotels. So by the time I got into a, into a classroom and studied a degree, you know, 
I knew exactly what I wanted. So I was, I was actually, I really applied myself in university just, just to right. get to the end and get the piece of paper. Yeah, but that's the secret, though, isn't it? You you found something that you absolutely want to do, and this yeah. is a this is part of the jigsaw puzzle that will help you get there at some point down down the line. So it just feels like it's part of your purpose, and that you know I need to to apply myself as as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Where yeah. where did the um where did that vision actually come from? Where can you remember a moment where you went, uh, like, did you see a movie or you know, saw somebody and went, I want to do that? Yeah, interesting. Actually, a lot of people ask me this. We grew up. I had. I've got two siblings, so there was three of us. Money wasn't. You know. You know. We didn't have a huge amount of money growing up, so hotel stays were quite romantic and quite. Listen, far fetched. We didn't go and stay in hotels every every other month. You know, they were. It was. I. I, I can only remember a handful of family holidays. And so the the memorable family holidays were in cottages in Scotland and and going out with the deer first thing in the morning. But I can I can remember some really key sort of moments being in hotels. And one of them moments was bizarrely in what was the Via St. David's Park, which is in Eulo, North Wales, which, listen, it's a village hotel now, but but this is probably going back 25 years. And I remember sitting in the restaurant and dad kindly had, had let me have a steak this night. So, so that's probably, <laughs> I was probably about 11. And given the fact that I'm 37 next month, it was probably... It was probably 25 years ago. So, so that was where it all started for me. And I was very lucky. The My next door neighbour when we were growing up had an office in, in the Queen's Motel in Liverpool. So it allowed me to bridge that gap, get some experience and, and off I went. But I knew, I, I knew from probably the age of 15, I wanted to be a hotel general manager. Right, got you. It was a movie, Pretty Women that uh, brought me. Bear with oh, me. Really? Yeah, um, because they were in the Beverly Wilshire. And I remember it was the first time that I had a vision in my head around I want to I want to go and be that guy that's on yeah. the front desk looking after everyone. And then ultimately I'd I'd, I'd cut to right I want to have a I want to own a hotel that's got a hundred bedrooms and I'd started doing the maths around it and all that sort of stuff and that kind of sent me on my hospitality journey. I got I took a few missteps along the way, but but in any case it's it's mad, isn't it? Where the visions come from? Sometimes it yeah. can be from seeing something that you just thought, yeah. Or sometimes it's the experience itself. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I always think, Phil, as well. You know, hospitality. You know, you know, we're simple creatures. So if you've got bags of common sense and you just want to look after people, you know, you can go very, very far, very, very quickly. And essentially, yeah. I set about that early doors in my career. Yeah, brilliant. So after QMH has been shut down, yeah, where, where did you go next? So I had a couple of really interesting years. So QMH shut down. I then had an opportunity to route to move to the newly opened Radisson uh, SAS, as it was in the time, in Liverpool, where I stayed just for about a year while I finished my studies and, and really got to grips with what I wanted to do. I spent a bit of time uh, in wedding coordination, which which was an eye-opener. It was brilliant, you know, great experience, and then split half my time in, in F&B as well. What I quickly realised, though, moving there, Phil, was that, you know, Radisson was a huge, huge business. And whilst QMH was sort of, national really you know uk national radisson the international piece was huge you, you did feel like a smaller piece where i'd, I'd come as a, as a young guy from from motel hotels and being quite a you know well known in the hotel to, to this other hotel in, in radisson that was it was quite big and you know it just opened and there was some very 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 senior people there and mm. had big impact on my career but i stayed there a short time and i was very very lucky to sort of backdoor it into to Malmaison. So 
through the through my uh, university lecturer, that an opportunity had become available on the Malmaison graduate scheme. Bizarrely, in Liverpool, when I, when that came across my desk, I uh, jumped all over that opportunity. Normal interview process where where I met sort of a significant guy in Scott Harper, who's now CEO of Malmaison and, st- and been there a, a very long time. But I think more significantly, I got the opportunity then to to join forces with people like Robert Cook, Sean Wheeler. All who had huge Im- impact on my career in, in the early days, but this listen, I was probably twenty one at the time, so I was I was young, impressionable. I'd certainly decided that my niche was in food and beverage. Mal right. Maison at the time was all about food and beverage. You, you know that was the heart and soul of Mal. And yeah, you, you know, joined Mal as a graduate in two thousand and six. Uh, Liverpool opened in two thousand and seven. Literally. Probably three years later, I found myself in a first deputy GM role in Liverpool, stepping up in, in the same hotel, which was a huge challenge, if I'm honest. Stepping out of a peer group in, into managing managing them peers was, was difficult, but there was a great chap, uh, Mark James, who was GM at the time, who certainly placed all of his trust in me. Great guy, Mark. And yeah, it gave me that opportunity. So did did that deputy GM role in Liverpool for 18 months and then moved to Manchester, which at the time, flagship property, huge new investments in, in food and beverage right on Piccadilly. And yeah, t- took the deputy role in, in Malmaison in Manchester. And that was 2011. So it's a long time ago. Actually, it still feels like yesterday. But I think yeah. when I reflect on my time at Mal, you know, what did I get from Mal it was a huge depth of knowledge in, in food and beverage. I studied wine f- after I graduated um, to quite a, quite a decent level. Gained so much experience in the operational departments and, you know, a, a, and as deputy. And I think, importantly, them mentors that you pick up along the way. And, and, and we'll mention more mentors we go through today, Phil, but, but there was none better than Sean Wheeler and Robert Cook at the time. Yeah. And still absolutely fantastic. That really helped me along the way. And you'll see now the next move was was stimulated by Robert Cook as well. Right. Yeah. Well, the importance of mentors cannot yeah. be understated. You know, they really can make or break, like what directions you head off in, what you learn while you're there under the, you know, under their mentorship or, or whatever. And that, you know, that I suppose goes internally and externally the people you pick up along the way that are happy to give you the the time yeah well, how old were you at this point in time it sounds like you're kind of still mid-20s yeah I, was young. I left my maison in uh, 2012 so yeah very pretty pretty young and and, and green there i yeah. say but it, a lot of I suppose it's that old, it's a sporting thing that they always used to talk about. If you're good enough, you're old enough, right? And Yeah, um, listen, I was 25. I'd been deputy GM in two Malmaison properties, one of them being the flagship at the time. I found myself at 25 years old thinking, I'm ready to be a GM. And yeah. actually, you know, the next move was a critical one for me. And leaving Malwood was an absolute draw. It really upset me at the time. But Robert had gone, you know, Sean had gone, and, and I had the opportunity to go and join forces with James Stewart, who was at Mottram Hall, just gone into Mottram Hall as managing director. And Robert had gone as CEO of De Vere, um, yeah. and asked me to come across to join Mottram as resident manager, which, you know, I was 25, no more than 26 at the time, and I, I found myself running this resort, I mean, there was, there, was, there was a renovation project that we embarked on right at the very beginning, so sort of early early 2012. 
And it was a bit of a defensive spend because uh, De Vere at the time is owned by Lloyds Bank. And it was a defensive spend to, to raise the value of Mottram Hall, to align it with the Cameron House, the Belfries, the Saley right. Halls, in order to offset the, 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 the businesses, but Lloyds to exit left. So, so yeah, it was interesting. It was maybe first renovate, first proper renovation. I'd been through a little bit of that with Malmaison. But, so renovating this resort and, and then repositioning this resort is sort of, the best resort in the northwest, essentially, was the strapline. Huge trajectory of learning. You know, you know, you walk in there on day one. You've come from city centre properties, and you think you know a little bit about food and beverage and and service and this, that, and the other. And then you come head to head with James Stewart, who I would describe as an industry titan, who had been at Mottram years before as GM, was now in this MD role, and in placing his trust in a, in a twenty-five-year-old scouser moving to Cheshire. <laughs> Run the resort alongside him, but listen, you know, you're talking. I walked in there and I remember overhearing a conversation about the green speed, and I'm thinking, green speed? What's green speed? I'm not a golfer, but but you know, we had we uh, we were lucky to secure the ISBS Handa Senior Open. So again, huge footfall onto the onto the resort for the, for the golf tournament, yeah. and this was all learning for me, Phil. And I'll touch on learning later on. I was learning every single day. I'd, I'd never run a big spa, a standalone spa, you know. We had yeah. to get into the community, James and I, and really sort of embed what the new Mottram was going to look like. And, and that that was a huge learning curve for me because ultimately you cannot have a member's spa, club, gym without engaging with the community and, and, and yeah. the locals. So James always, and, and he was a stickler for it, you know, 7 o'clock Saturday morning, we were stood on the first tee talking to every single golf member and that will never ever leave me you know it was a huge huge learning curve for me much more fantastic property yeah and you know one one moment in life right in terms of whereby you take the time out to go and do that and you you're one you're building relationships with people who are going to be the kind of the backbone of your membership Mm -hmm. but two you know that kind of flips onto them where they're like well look at how much these guys care about this you know, and that that sticks with them yeah. forever. You know, and yeah. they know that they've they've they trust you then that they're that you actually are there for yeah. them and that you've got their backs and all of that sort of stuff. And that's yeah, how you sure. build the the foundations into something magical. Yeah, I think it's probably privy to know as well when we went to Mottram Hall. It had been uh, it had a few very very challenging years. Dare I say, uh, in a very polite way. So. It wasn't just the members. We walked into Mottram and at the time, Mottram Hall was delivering 145 weddings a year. So I'll let you do the maths, Phil, but if you divide 142 <laughs> by 52 weeks, that's yeah, plenty of weddings that's a quite week. a lot of weddings, um, yeah. And obviously all generally come in them summer months. So what we, we had to quite quickly is to rewrite the strategy. And, and what you were seeing was you've seen 145 weddings, fantastic. We're coming in and just destroying the ambience and destroying the, the spa experience, the golf experience, the golf socials. And so, so we had to quite quickly make, it, make make a big, big decision to sort of cut the wedding business in half, essentially, and to really then drive that overnight spa trade, which is pretty lucrative, the football trade, which is also lucrative. Yeah. Um, Mottram Hall hosts the Germany in the Euro 96. So it did have a history of, yeah, it had a history of, of football teams. And when you have a resort and you have all the moving parts, you've got a couple of restaurants, a couple of bars, a big conference suite, 
dare I say, you know, a championship golf course, 18 hole golf course, you have to ensure that each of those little areas have their own strategy. And what Motsum was when we arrived was just a wedding house. And, and, and we, were, we were quickly looking at a very disgruntled membership, a, a spa members that were disgruntled. So we had to be very, very quick and, and get in, into the community and understand what they wanted from Motsum Hall as well. Yeah, I think the community element is huge. I had um, Jason Adams on recently uh, up yeah, at Rockcliffe yeah. Hall. Mm. We talked about the very same thing, uh, you know, about how important it is. And, and not even just, I suppose, from a business perspective, but actually just from a local community perspective in terms of mm. knowing that you're you're part of yeah. your local surroundings. You know, you're a massive part. You have a massive part to play in terms of the jobs that you can offer people and all of these sorts of things. It's, uh, uh, yeah, hugely important. Massively important and a Mottram Hall Phil, you know, it's it's located near Alderley Edge, Presbury, and it's one of the biggest employers in Macclesfield, which is just up the road, maybe another three or four miles up the road. And what you had to quite quickly realise is all of your team are coming from Macclesfield and all of your regular guests were coming from Presbury and Alderley Edge with high expectations, you know. Yeah. Um a relatively affluent part of the world. So, so yeah, the community thing was big and, and I think Certainly, the community thing it, it it comes easy in a resort because because of, of where you are and the village of Alderley Edges down the road and the village of Presbury. But I think that can be amplified in city centres, and we'll certainly talk about that as we talk about what's happening at the coast at the moment and the, the schools and the colleges that we've got relationships with. But yeah, Mottram Hall, I look back on that time as just absolutely fantastic time in my yeah. career. It sounds like you were a kind of a sponge at this point. Every day, as you say, was just just adding reams and reams of knowledge, uh, yeah. which you can probably, at the time, you don't really appreciate, but you look back on now and probably say that it's, yeah. it, it formed a massive part of what you've become. Yeah. Plenty of mistakes as well, Phil. It's definitely worth noting. Plenty yeah. of mistakes. Yeah. Yeah. But that, that's essential, right? The, that, and inevitable. The, uh, it, and you can't go through every day being perfect. You know, the, the, as much as you can pursue that, there's always going to be stuff that comes up, right? I mean, there's always going to be, I don't know, that you were expecting a delivery of, of salmon for the wedding breakfast and <laughs> they send trout, you know, and, yeah. you know, these sorts of things that just happen, right? The, um, it's, yeah, yeah. but I, I think the, the key thing for me about hospitality is, is that it absolutely fundamentally gives you the tools to recover quickly from things that go wrong. Yeah, and I think something that I always say to you know, Honesty and integrity, the most important things. You're going to no hospitality business is perfect, either guest facing or people facing. You know, we make people mistakes all the time. But so one of my mantras now is, you know, just own it. Just just stand up and be uh, and be the big guy and just say, look, we got this wrong. Whether that be in front of a guest or, or, or in front of a team member, sometimes we hire the wrong people, you know, and the wrong person in the business can be, you know, can be a bit of a cancer and you have to, you have yeah. to act on that really quickly. So I, listen, I, I look back at Motum Hall as a huge, huge learning curve for me. And, and learning is, listen, we, we learn every day, Phil, that's a bit of a cliche, isn't it? But, but certainly some, some mistakes that you, you learn from and unbelievable time in my career, you know, and yeah. it was a wrench to leave Motum Hall as well. I can be honest. Really? Yeah. And yeah. don't worry about cliches, by the way, this is a cliche safe space. <laughs> Um, fantastic yeah. <laughs> but um yeah well i mean that leads on nicely then leaving mottram hall was a wrench actually leaving yeah. Maison was a wrench beforehand yeah. as well so you're but i suppose it's it's part of the development that comes to be a there's got to be a ceiling i guess of mm. if you're still learning and you you're obviously still aspiring to become a general manager so 
So what happened next? Yeah, so, so Mottram, like I say, was a wrench. I'd put down some roots in the area, in, in sort of the, the, the Cheshire area there, which was ideal for me at the time. I then had the opportunity, and let's talk about industry titans once again. So it's not like you've, not, you've not named any so far. <laughs> no, <laughs> indeed. I, I then had the opportunity to go and work with David Taylor. So, so Hotelier of the Year 2018, you know, no one better in the, in the business at the time. Um, Sean Wheeler had arrived after his stint of the Dorchester collection with, with, with Principal. So I'd, um, I'd uh, gone to York for a short time to, to oversee the renovation of the Royal York in preparation for me moving into a hotel manager role at the what was then the Palace in Manchester. So in York, I teamed up with another industry titan, Stephen Carter, just name dropping there again. Yeah. Um, Stephen and I had, and I just had a real whale of a time in York. And, and what you can get from from a Stephen Carter in, in, in a period of what, eight, nine, ten months in York was just incredible. It really set me on, on the way. I can only imagine. He's, um, I mean, he's been on the show, obviously. and yeah, um, indeed. He's uh, he's just one of these guys that makes you feel like we've got this. We've yeah, totally got it. Like there's nothing that can come up that I haven't seen before. So yeah, which is obviously not the case, but that's the way he um that's the way he presents himself. Yeah, certainly. And listen, I'm still in touch with Stephen. You know, I spoke to Stephen this week, literally this week. Um, great guy, absolutely fantastic chap but yeah i had this opportunity to go and work with david repositioning the palace which you'll know the palace phil it comes with the reputation of being one of the most challenging properties in manchester you know it was a 30 million pound renovation of wow, which yeah. there was you know the, the outgoing gm took the keys at me uh, on his last day <laughs> and that was that um that good luck good luck <laughs> off you go and listen it, it's like a, a rabbit warren, you know. I I remember one day after we renovated, David walked in, and as you do when when you look at these hotels, you do a walk around, and a walk around to the palace probably took you half a day. You, you know, the into the bowels, up to the top floor, right across the four separate buildings. It could take you half a day, and I'd obviously missed the corner out one morning, and I never forget David absolutely wiping the floor with me saying why haven't you walked this property this morning and again a learning curve yeah um, well you'll just make sure that you'll never do that again right i mean that's that yeah, is how you indeed. learn you yeah, yeah totally well, but listen it, it was it was a massive renovation there was no gm in place at the time i, I sort of took that on for sort of eight or nine months to, throughout this renovation sort of managing contractors and rebuilding the team and then michael pertle arrived who's now with jamera and just well he, just left him here. He's just on to start his new job in London. Yep. And Michael was a, a real senior figure who'd come in to sort of take the helm of the um, of the palace and relaunch sort of principal into the UK. So, so it was launched from Manchester in the November. The property's huge, you know, 400 team members, 300 bedrooms, 22 million turnover, you know, in a, a real student corridor of Manchester. In, in fact, I think it's the busiest bus route in Europe sits outside uh, that really? yeah incredible incredible property ballroom capacity sort of six seven eight hundred biggest challenge though was 50 percent of the revenue came in in food and beverage so obviously huge challenges managing payroll yeah but yeah just a magic magic property i really enjoyed my time there as hotel manager um michael pertle in terms of so again talking industry titans was the most detailed guy i have ever worked with i'll never ever forget 
writing the opening budget for, for what was then going to be Principal Manchester, um, which is latterly now Kimpton. It's been bought again and it's now Kimpton branded. Yeah. But Michael's attention to detail was incredible. I, I never forget, we were, we were talking about writing a budget for housekeeping and the hotel was challenged in terms of this, there was lots of step access, lack of lifts, et cetera, et cetera. And Michael made us walk the, the, the housekeeper's journey from the back door to the sign-in point, the trolley, to stock in the trolley to the first bedroom and made us quantify the time over the year, over the annum that that would take that them housekeepers to do it. Wow, as, yeah. As non-productive payroll. And, and you know what? I'm still in touch with Michael as well. What a great guy. The detail, he just went into the, the most minute of detail. And, and again, something that I'll never, ever forget. But that, that's, I mean, that's massively important. I mean, it's hugely important when you're, you're trying to deliver a luxury product, yeah. but it's important at any product that you go to that level of detail and to, yeah. if you didn't know any better you would be writing that budget then around okay so so this housekeeper's got to do i don't know 13 rooms in the space of however long and that's it there's no consideration to how long it's going to take to yeah, for yeah. them to actually get to the first room in the first place and then restore everything at the end of it and yeah. um it's that attention to detail that actually is the difference between success and failure yeah, I think yeah, I, you're absolutely right. I think the other thing that was that was a real Starwood Capital owned the, that hotel at the time, and what was really interesting was is Starwood and the the presence in the UK has grown dramatically over the last few years. Yeah, and probably the biggest experience I had there was dealing with them asset managers for Starwood and people like Cody Bradshaw. They wanted the hotel to be quite credible in the cities. So that's where in that hotel principal, which is now Kimpton, they've got the refuge, which was a huge cavernous space. And I think that was probably my first experience of managing uh, different stakeholders. So, so again, we brought in two, two gentlemen who were very credible in Manchester, two ex-DJs called the Una Bombers, Luke and Justin, to really curate the space in, in the refuge. And we opened that refuge and honestly, Manchester just flocked. And one of the strap lines was come as you are, just just come in whatever you're dressed in and, and behave like you behave. And it was a really sort of, you had this luxury principal brand hotel, which was super luxury and everything that they even thought of every detail through the brand people. And, and then you had this refuge on the ground floor, which, you know, breakfast on a, on a Tuesday would be 450. Sunday lunch would, would be 300, you know. Right. It was regular on a Saturday, this restaurant and bar would turn over. 75k in one night and there was all kinds going on there was a nightclub there there was you know there was events going on in the outside areas so massive business to to manage you know very 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 big business but absolutely great fun let me tell you yeah well and again you're you're getting new strings to your bow right in terms of thinking this way and you could argue actually that that allowing people to come to your property as they are is a luxury mindset you're not trying to pigeonhole people into your way of doing things you're saying look we've created this beautiful space for you come and enjoy it yeah for sure what we have to remember is again go back to that community thing phil manchester is very diverse yeah very inclusive as a city you you know you cannot you cannot you you know ostracize anybody or you you know and, and luke one of the guys who curated the space he, he used this term in an early interview and he said, we are uniting the clans of Manchester. And I think that was a real masterstroke because, you know, you'd be sat there on a Friday afternoon and you'd have a group of students in one corner, a, a group of 
businessmen in, in the other corner, a group of young women in the other corner celebrating the Hindu, or you know, it was it was so diverse, and and that's ultimately what made it successful. Yeah, and you created a buzz, and you know, so the, a, a great place to be, great energy. Again, we'll yeah. come back to that word. Yeah, and yeah, fantastic. Sounds sounds amazing. And again, you just keep dropping these Titan names into into the mix, and I keep trying to get David Taylor on the show. By the way. If you're we'll listening, David. Film. If you're listening, yeah, we'll David. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But all in good time. All in good time. I'm not going any anywhere anytime soon. So there's many, many more people to interview yet. No, that's really cool. So you're a hotel manager at this point under Michael. And then how long were you there for? So I was there for about three years. And probably it's probably pretty to know. Yeah, I, I could have stayed in Malmaison and been a GM, maybe. Well, Scott will probably disagree with me, Scott Harper, but realistically, I could have been a GM. My next move at Malmaison in 2012 was to go and take on a hotel de van or a smaller property. But I made that conscious decision to go and do resorts and, and a huge city centre as a number two to really sort of cement that, that experience. I knew what the destination was, and that was to be a GM. But all of that experience as resident manager, hotel manager, deputy general manager, gave me so much experience across all the different types of hotel. And I just felt very, I felt ready. But when Dakota came calling, I knew that was the, the right move for me. Yeah, the wonderful thing about that is, and this is a message that should get out a lot more because I think people are generally in a rush to get to the top, right? As quickly as they can. Absolutely. But if you get there too quickly and you hadn't, if you had taken that general manager job, there's no doubt that you would have been successful. But look at what you would have missed out on. Look at mm. all of the other things that you would have not had exposure to and therefore you would have been a dare i say it, a lesser gm yeah no, i absolutely agree with that phil and, and you know i was in a rush in the in them early 20s i was in a rush and i wanted to be a gm yesterday but i think that move from mal to motram really matured me and really sort of you had to be commercial we the business was up for sale we absolutely had to have a commercial edge it really really delivered a, a commercial edge yeah sales and marketing really came to the to the fore there because we had to deal with that probably when you were mal you know back when mal was was what it was in in 2010 11 when i was there you know very much focused on the operation as deputy gm the gms took on all the sales the marketing and the the commerciality of the business so i think that move into motrum was was a was a really good move for me, a, a really great move. And, and then laterally onto principle where the sum of moving parts is, I mean, you cannot imagine what the day-to-day looked like there. It was just so busy. It's great at all. Yeah, I can only imagine the stories, which maybe, yeah, we'll, well, get, maybe we'll get onto that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's cool. I mean, I, I, the uh, probably your day one at Mottram, you realised, holy cow, I've got a lot to learn. <laughs> Yeah, I, I did. I did. And you I probably felt that in. again when you were at principal, like when you went. Yeah. Uh, you, know, you, you've, you've just done this wonderful spell with Mottram where you've learned yeah. so much, and then you walk through the door on day one and get the keys launched at you, and uh, and you're like, "Holy cow! I've got, I have to learn it all again." But but I think Phil, you know, you know, pressure pays the mortgage, right? So if you don't feel pressure and you don't feel like you've stepped up, then. Wouldn't life be so easy? Yeah. You know, for, for me, you should be performing a role that you want, not not the role that you're in. And, and I always say that to, to my team now: go and go and go and deliver the role that you actually want, not the role that you're sat in now. Go go and act like you're in the role that you want tomorrow. And and that's something that, that I really took on. And again, we talk about learning. If you stop learning, it's time to move on. 
Yeah, well, that's, that's genius, that concept, though, of go and perform at the role that you want. Because that you know you're you're putting yourself in the shoes of this is where I want to be, so I have to go and perform. And it's something that I always talk about when I'm interviewing people, and I ask people, you know, that horrible interview question that people still ask around where do you see yourself in five years' time? Yeah. Um, it's actually I, I used to really despise it as a question, but it, for me, it, it gives me a real clear insight into whether somebody's actually genuinely thought about where they're going. And it doesn't matter if you don't fulfill that five-year plan because things change and you know stuff happens. But always look at where you would like to be in five years' time and what's the gap in between of the skill that you have that stops you doing this job right now and go and fill in the gaps. That's, that's it. It's as simple as that. Yeah. I think I was probably quite lucky, Phil, if I'm honest. You, you know, I probably wasn't that intelligent to think you, like that. At the time when I left Mal and joined Motum, I probably wasn't thinking where are my gaps, but I was seeing opportunities as, wow, look what I can go and do. And that backfilled that knowledge. But yeah, I, I can certainly, only imagine. certainly, certainly, I would say to any young aspiring GMs, go and get as much experience as you can as a number two. Because when you're number one, the book stops with you. You know, there's yeah. no umbrella. All right, look, look, there's always going to be an umbrella of a brand around you, but ultimately the book stops with you. And, you know, I would absolutely not change anything about their moves in them deputy GM, resident manager, hotel manager roles. You know, I learned so much in such a short space of time. And, and it got to me, it got me to the to the big job, the, the, the dream role in essence. Yeah. And, and being a deputy is a wonderful training ground to the number one job, right? I mean, and it is your opportunity to go and find the shoes that you're supposed to be filling and find more out about you and find... Uh, make your mistakes and you know and and all of these things because if you've got a good leader a- ahead of you they'll be allowing you to do this yeah no, i absolutely agree with that and, and and in essence again phil say that's what we allow our team to do now at dakota it, it, it's a going to grow to make mistakes you know we we promote young talents you know sometimes maybe a little bit ahead of the time but we support them in that growth and, and that's what's so some magic about dakota actually but i'm sure we'll go into that in a moment as well well that seems like a very good segue, actually, into uh, yeah. because you're you're leaving principal, and yeah. then you're going to Dakota, as you said, uh, you described it as the dream job. Yeah, listen. At the time, I uh, you you know when you're ready, you, you'll probably know yourself. You know when when you're ready to take that that leap of faith. And I was aware of Dakota in Leeds. One of my colleagues was a chef who, who worked in Leeds and had introduced me to the Dakota many, many months before, 12 months before the opportunity even arose. And, you know, it looked like a brand that, that I really sort of aligned with. I, I aligned with the culture. I'd worked, when I said work alongside, Ken, Ken McCulloch had just sold Malmaison in sort of the late 90s, dare I say, and, and off he went to, to Monaco. But by the time I joined Mal, Ken was this enigma and Ken was this, you know, you know, we use the word Kenism in, in, in the day-to-day that comes now. But Ken had set this brand up in Scotland and it was a fast-paced brand, you know, you know, Ken, just an incredible guy. So, so I really, I jumped at the opportunity when the coach came knocking on the door. I'd had a very candid conversation with David Taylor uh, at the time, I knew the time was right for me, and, and so I, I made the leap, and never regretted any minute, any minute of it actually. So it's fantastic. Yeah, how long have you been with Dakota now? So I opened, I joined the brand a year before we we went into the pre-opening phase in Manchester. So I joined the brand in 
March 2018. Hotel opened in May 19. And that was just to allow me to to acclimatise and and we'll, we'll talk about the owners in a bit more detail later on, but the owners were really committed to getting the flagship right and committed to get the right person for, for, for the GM role and somebody who knew the city of Manchester. I'd been in and around Manchester for a long time by this point. And I think for me, it just allowed me to come back to a brand that I absolutely aligned with, service-focused, magic, fun, light-hearted, all of the people, all about young talent, and, and the opportunity to go and work with Ken again. And Ken was in his twilight years, and and he, he he's, he's retired recently in the, in the last few years, but the time spent with Ken in that year period before pre-opening, I'll never, ever forget, never forget. And right. so inspirational and, and everything. He looks at a hotel in a very, very different way than, than anybody else ever looks has ever looked at a hotel that I've that I've worked with. And all about the ambience, the music, the lighting, the temperature, making it right for the guests, focus on the detail, being almost invisible in, in your in your service. And, and and ultimately the main answer is doing the simple things really, really brilliantly. You know, yeah. I think one one of the one of the Kenisms is, you know, we sell it like a movie. You know, we don't sell it like a hotel. We sell it like a movie. It's that magic. So it was an opportunity to work with Ken. Quite a small structure at the Cote. There's no sort of head office. You know, there's there's a couple of people that, that, that sit in, in in sort of senior roles as an ops director and a, and a founder, stroke managing director. So there's, there's no big red tape and big hurdles to jump through whenever you need anything. And I think, you know, it's privately owned, the Cote, by, by a family. And honestly, Phil, you could not wish for a better owner you know right we, we have a direct line in, into the owner and he i mean it can make or break right it can make yeah, or break the need, situation there. yeah it's all about the guests it's all about the people you know listen ultimately we have to be commercially successful of course but but the owner will only ever ask me how the guests are how our people are how the guests feeling you know are they enjoying is it value for money are we still value for money are we still the best so so again i think you know, ownership was really, really important important for me. Time spent with Ken, just incredible. And then it came to May. Well, I should maybe mention February 2019 when my first born was born. Okay. Um, so <laughs> a month and a half before the hotel opened. That was an interesting time, Phil. Your first born and opening a hotel within five weeks was Yeah. Did you move house as well? It's the, just Yeah, know. I think we'd move, yeah. We moved house in the pandemic. That was another oh, okay. crazy right. move. Um, but yeah, you know, you can imagine I'm in the hospital and my other half about to give birth and I'm on the phone recruiting people and this, that and the other. So, but you wouldn't have it any other way. You, you know, why would you want to go and take two weeks paternity leave when you're opening the best hotel in Manchester? You, you wouldn't. So, so, so that probably, probably good that I mentioned that the first one came in February 19, open the Manchester in, in, uh, May, 2019. And, uh, the rest is history, as they say. Yeah, well, you're now in a, a a regional role. That's right. Yeah. So, what's your region? What are you looking after? Yeah. So, I opened Manchester as uh, opening GM. Manchester uh, obviously is the flagship. It, it generates the, the the biggest revenues in in the brand, the biggest profits, and and ultimately should be seen as as listen the the, the flagship. It, you know, really important hotel for the brand. You, you, you know, Manchester's a big dynamic city. It was relatively unknown in England, Dakota, but we had our Glasgow and our uh, Euro Central hotels, and then our, and our fourth bridge just outside outside Edinburgh. So three hotels in Scotland. Um, they came to Leeds in 2017. 
opened the hotel there. Fantastic hotel, um, but was relatively still unknown. It was only when Manchester came along that Manchester really made we made a big splash. We, we'd gone from but you know punching above our weight in Scotland and in Leeds for, for for a long time to to being quite a credible operation once you've opened in Manchester and cemented your place there. So I opened the hotel as GM. Lots and lots of in- industry recognition. Um, we landed you know as number one on TripAdvisor three or four weeks after we opened Manchester, and it's been there ever since. Right. We had one day as number two recently, but that's, oh uh, god, that was cold a meeting that day, yeah. Glad to let everyone know that we are back as number one now. Um, <laughs> plenty of industry recognition, you know. We've had an Acorn winner in, in Katie Forrest who who won an Acorn. We had a Restaurant Manager of the Year finalist in 2020 in, in Tom, our restaurant manager. And then I think last year, a couple of Hotel Katie nominations. Sam Carl was Hotel Restaurant Chef of the Year and Tom, again, nominated as Food and Beverage Manager. And then Katie nominee this year as Best Employee in Hospitality. So, so we've landed as... Best in the top 15, best employers in hospitality for three years running. But this year we've landed, I think, don't misquote me on this, Lisa Jenkins will kill me if I get this wrong, but <laughs> I think we're in the top six and I'm I'm down to London tomorrow at the People Summit and we'll hope that we've we've come number one and won a Katie in July. So, so we'll see. So it's plenty, plenty, plenty of recognition. You know, fantastic business, unbelievable business. And, and I can I can say, you know, it's a, it's a real team effort. It's not, it's not a dictatorship it's collaborative you know we we sit down together we 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 talk together we you know it's not a it's not the matt townley show i can promise you that there's plenty of strong characters around me that probably think it's their show actually so that that allowed me to you know spend time in the community in schools colleges etc and then the pandemic hit 10 months later which was pretty cruel actually because manchester had a real Real great launch to the market, you know, it was doing super superbly well, surpassing anything we, we, we expected in that first sort of 10 months. Pandemic hits, big problem. And then coming out of the pandemic, some people had left the business and the opportunity was there actually for me to go and take on leads as well, just after we reopened in 2021. So I jumped at the chance, thought that'd be a big learning curve for me to take on two properties, so Manchester and Leeds. So, so I currently look after the, the two English properties as, as regional operations director, and that takes us to today. Yeah. Well, I feel like I want to give you a round of applause, man. That's a, it's a hell of a journey. It is a hell of a journey. And I suppose in many ways, because what you say you're you're 37 now. Yeah. So, you know, you're, um, you're still a young man. You've still got a, a hell of a lot to give, uh, I would imagine. But it feels like you've found a home uh, as it were yeah. um and and yeah and you're and, and that definitely comes across it once again i come back to energy i don't think you can act with energy if you are not in a place that allows you to to be like that that allows you to be yourself that allows you to to impart what you've learned along the way yeah i, I agree and i think what dakota allows me to do is is to be who i am to lead the team in the way i like to lead the team with a real feeling of, you know, if you do drop a ball along the way, that it will be caught. You know, it's quite a young dynamic brand with with, with expansion plans. You know, in in the pipeline as as we speak. But actually, you know, that whole make people feel good about making people feel good is something that we we live and die by every day. We turn every corner. We make our team feel the best they can feel in order to make our guests feel good. And I think that's all it comes down to, Phil. You know, Dakota is is absolutely magic. When you spend time with Ken and you, and you listen to Ken and, you know, that 
at the forefront of everything we do is, is that culture of service and, and you know, you should step through the front doors of the Dakota Hotel and, and be transported anywhere you want, Man- Manhattan, Mayfair, Manchester, wherever you want to be, but we're quite fun and, and quite light-hearted, but there's a very serious siege mentality in this hotel and, and certainly in Manchester that, that, that we've embedded into that open and, I, and you only get one chance to open, open a hotel you don't get two chances I mean some of my colleagues in Manchester they get two chances I can think of Paul Bayless Hotel Brooklyn he opened this hotel twice because of the pandemic yeah, yeah. Um, we always laugh about that but you only get one chance to set that tone from the off field you don't get two chances you, you, you can't sit there own and work sort of 8 till 4.30 and expect everybody else to, to, to be at the you know at the cold face and you know de- delivering your, your hospitality so really important that you get it right from the off and, and i think that's what we, we we essentially did get it right from the off in in this hotel but certainly you think about ken you think about everything he says about we're selling it like a movie i found my place because i feel really really comfortable in this brand i feel really comfortable where the brand's going to grow and expand and we've got we've got succession and pipeline opportunities for our people and ultimately, so long as we do continue to grow, I'm very, very happy where I am. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you would potentially be a benefactor of any future growth uh, in any way. But you can never know, right? I mean, but the uh, but certainly for now, there is, as some, here's another cliche, there is only this moment, right? So it yeah, seems yeah. like in this moment, you are exactly where you're supposed to be. Yeah. Yeah. And absolutely. I just realized that Jurgen Klopp says, in this moment a lot so there's, oh, a, a little, there's a little liverpool drop in as well yeah. but um no cool so actually a quick question around that you mentioned that you had your firstborn in 2019 how, how do you manage because you, you've just mentioned as well you're kind of a lead from the front if you're you know i assume that there are moments where you have to go away and do the family thing and all of that sort of stuff but how do you manage that how do you get the best out of that situation so it probably depends who you're going to ask you. If you're asking me that question, I'm going to give you a very different answer to my missus. Um, <laughs> but, but in essence, right, hospitality is a tough gig. You know, you, you can't be clock watching. The minute you clock watch, the minute you, you're done. I've got a very, very supportive home life. My father instilled in me work ethic, and I, I certainly inherited his work ethic. He worked until he died a couple of years ago. He, he worked seven days a week. For, for 25 years you know so that work ethic is ingrained in me so, so ultimately what that means is um do i strike the work-life balance cliche probably not however there is you've got to pick your moment like you say pick your moments if it's quiet on a wednesday evening at five o'clock and you can get out the door brilliant however my life includes saturdays in work late nights overnights nights in leeds nights in manchester entertaining our clients so in essence it's probably always something in the back of my mind that you know you, you probably have to spend a bit more time at home but you know when you're doing something you love this is your life as well so, so, yeah, yeah. so, so in essence, you, you know if you have a day off fantastic you have two days off it's an absolute bonus and, and on them days off your phone might ring etc etc and, and some people will go and find that balance themselves everybody has their own tipping point and you know what is your tipping point where you need to switch off and go on holiday and and spend some absolute quality time at home i find that time i'm sure my missus would tell me i don't find enough of that time but ultimately what makes a successful business is by, by the person who sets the tone sets the energy sets the pace is seen late at night and early in the morning and every time it, it every time throughout the day in the middle. What's really good is about this brand is we don't really have 
officers in inverted commas for GMs or or, or, or anybody who doesn't essentially need an office. So, so I will be based from the floor in the bar in the grills, you know, talking to the, to the team in the kitchen or usually you'll find me at nine o'clock in the morning. I'll be with housekeeping. That's when they they do their briefing with, with, with the housekeepers. Um, so I know that at that time for 25 minutes of my day, that that's meant with the housekeepers. I'll catch up with the breakfast chef usually at, at quarter to eight in the morning. And then, you know, you might catch up with the hotel manager at eight o'clock at night or nine o'clock at night, whatever that might be. So, so, I'm probably not the best uh, example of finding a work-life balance, but my home life allows me to to really submerge myself into the culture of the business, and, and that's what that, that's what's really exciting about this brand. Yeah, I mean, I think there's there's probably two things in play there. One, you know, communication is the cornerstone of any successful relationship, right? So it, I'm assuming that your missus understands what it takes to be successful in the space that you're operating in well we'll maybe have a separate conversation with her about that at some point um please please, do. please, no, please don't i thought you were going to say that um and the second point is is that you know you're you found something that you love to do so yeah. you know that's it's another cliche but you know you you're doing something that doesn't actually feel like work because you know you're it, for you it's not a job it's a lifestyle this is part of your lifestyle, and that's the secret to happiness. Uh, I think. Is there a comes... time for a cliche, Phil? Oh, there's never a bad time for a cliche. Let's let's drop this one in. If you enjoy what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. Fantastic. Yes. In and fact, I is... think I think Stephen uh, might have said that one actually. Oh, really? Um, yeah, yeah. I, I, that, you're not you're not the first with that one. It's but a cliche. Absolutely... <laughs> well, but cliches are little snippets of wisdom, aren't they? They are just exactly that. But it's, you know, that to me sounds like you're you're the role model here because you've found something that makes you that ignites you and gets you up to to go to work because it doesn't feel like work as I say it's it's more of a lifestyle. And I I think that's absolutely key. But I think the other key thing with this is is that that mentality might not come to you on day one of starting your career you know and generally speaking the more knowledge you go out and get about your craft the more natural things come to you the more you feel like you've found your space yeah and it becomes easier doesn't it phil because what happens then is on a let's just take today for example after after we finish now wednesday's really the commercial day wednesday's the day when we look at what's happening in the businesses. We look at the, the, the payroll level. Have we got the right amount of payroll? You know, we're not a business that looks at a PL from the bottom up. We look at a PL from the top down. Have we got enough people, enough team members on the rosters to deliver unbelievable service? So so Wednesday's a real commercial day. You know, we, we look at we look at payroll, we look at forecasts, we look at previous month, we look at next week, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But what that allows me to do is, is go and spend maybe evolve my role slightly. We've got a hotel manager in Manchester. We've got a hotel manager in Leeds, but it allows us to really embed ourselves into community that we touched on earlier. So we've got sort of collaborations in this hotel. You know, I think we're the only hotel that signed up to Greater Manchester's Good Employment Charter um, with Andy Burnham, who's on everyone's lips at the moment. You know, we we partner with charities, so Reach Out, which is a mentoring challenge charity for children from like challenge backgrounds right we've got a mini sort of relationship almost a mini curriculum with the co-op academy in swindon whereby we are their nominated school through the manchester hoteliers association we regularly put on evenings at tameside college you know the other side of town so that allows us to spend you know more time 
doing the doing the right things. These are the right things to do to inspire young people into our industry. And yeah. I take great pride in, in the amount of time I actually spend dealing with community schools, colleges, charity. Dare I even mention the, the Institute of Hospitality where I chair the Northwest region of the Institute of Hospitality. So Dakota allow me to go and to go and do that as well, which is just it's just a great place to be. It's like a a Disney role, might you say? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean the 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 IOH is your wider community, isn't it, of hospitality. Yeah. That's you know, so that still still feeds into that community spirit element. But you know that this is something that is becoming more and more apparent to me the more conversations I have with people. And I've been lucky enough, as you know, to speak to quite a wide section of people from from the industry. And there are people who just inspire me on a, a day-to-day basis. And I, I'm going to bring up Danny Peccarelli once again, yeah. just because of the, I have ha- had this theory in the back of my head for a long time about business lost its way for quite a long time in terms of why it's there in the first place. And it's, you know, for a long time, it's been about the cash. Yeah. Profit's important in business without question, but the use of that profit has been, misdirected and it's out of balance a little bit and now if you're wanting to be an employer who people want to get on board with and want to come and work for you've got to be thinking about what are you doing with your profit Mm -hmm. as in what are we doing to save the world what are we doing to save our local community what are we doing to just make things better and not just about lining shareholders pockets uh etc etc and i definitely i'm not getting into a a political debate on that because I do believe that profit is massively important. There is no business without it, right? But it's about finding the balance. Mm. The people who take the risk to start the business in the first place should be rewarded for that risk, but not for the sake of everything else. Anyway, yeah. that's my rant over for the day. Listen, <laughs> apply that to our industry. You know, one of the biggest challenges is stakeholder management in the in, the, in UK hospitality. You know, you, you know, you got venture capitalists, you got private owners. You know. Everybody has a different objective, you know. People need return on investments in some industry, in in some companies, yeah. And that you have to align yourself with that brand. If you want to go and work for a brand that is owned by a venture capitalist, then that's fantastic. But be prepared to spend more time at the at the sharp end, looking at your P and L and making sure you're delivering that objective for for your owner. Mm. I chose this brand in the moment in time that we were in, working for an owner that was absolutely focused on delivering the best service delivery in the city that, that, that he opens hotels in. So ultimately you have to be, do your research is what I would say to anybody, you know, it go, if you, if you want to be really sharp, challenged commercially, you can go down one route. If you want to go and work for a, a privately owned company that generally understand that, that repeat guest is so important to the PL, then, then, then choose that company as well. But for sure, listen, we all have to run a commercial business. We, we all have to be commercially successful. Absolutely. Otherwise, as you know, as the GM, if you're not running a commercial business, you're not you're not the GM anymore. It's it's straightforward as that. But people have a choice as well, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, but there is a company out there for everyone, right? I think that's uh, the the key point, and vice versa. So yeah, cool, right? I think it's story time, um, which is not not something I've historically called this section of the show, but um, but yeah, from your your career so far, and just knowing that the type of person that you are. Uh, there's got to be some stories. 
there is some stories indeed um that, clean, that you right? can share yeah i mean that, yeah. well that clean is fine I'm, that, we have had some unclean stories on the show but the um it's all about your reputation here matt so yeah. <laughs> um it's you have to make sure you walk away with yeah. <laughs> yeah. um the funniest story that sticks out and in, in my mind there's a couple actually i've got one about ken so so the first one about ken no well, he's retired now so safe yeah you've got to know ken but i'm in a competitive uh competitive hotel with ken one afternoon and we're just waxing lyrical about all things hospitality and service and and you know how good's the coffee how bad's this and that and ken just comes out and says wow these guys really know how to put the hospital in hospitality, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 you know, that is synonymous with Ken, and that is a really good Kenism. But I think one of the funniest moments I've ever had in my career, and at the time it wasn't that funny, let me tell you, Phil, was probably take you back to Mottram Hall. So it was probably 2013, maybe 2014, and we had an ex-James Bond staying with us. And I won't name his name, won't name his name, I mean, it's, it's quite a narrow, narrow list. Um, well, straight away, exchange, yeah. There's not that many of them. So, <laughs> um, an exchange bond, and he and his wife had been followed by the paparazzi. They they were performing somewhere locally. I think it was Buxton Theatre, if I'm not mistaken. Paparazzi come down the drive. We get the we get them into the room overnight. Really look after them, and it comes to the next day, and it's departure time. So James Stewart, being James Stewart. Leads from the front. We all have to be ready at the bedroom door, ready to see Mr. Bond and his and his wife out of the hotel. And me being a overzealous uh, resident manager at the time, 24 years of age, 25 years of age, I was there front and centre, ready to play concierge, take the bags to the to the blacked out vehicle outside and away they'd go. But I remember there was a queue of us. The, the corridor was quite narrow, so there was resort managing director, me as resident manager, and I think maybe the conference and banquet manager, and certainly the director of sales, Emma, was there as well. And the door opens, and Mr. Bond, who will remain nameless for now, points to the luggage, etc., etc. And me being that overzealous 24-year-old, straight into the room, grabs the first suitcase in my right hand that I can, and yank it up um, to, to transport it out. Unbeknownst to me, Mrs. Bond hasn't tied the suitcase up so i as i pull the suitcase off the floor into midair the bottom of the suitcase just flaps open oh no and as you can imagine all of the contents fall out including their knickers all of her medicine and i just remember hearing a cry from the corner of oh no and you know you just want the world to eat you and just swallow you up and just disappear but that was certainly one of the most embarrassing moments of my career. I should have just been a little bit more calculated, a bit slower in what, what I was going to do. But yeah, I'll never, ever forget that day. And and to this day now, we, we look back at that moment and I'm st- I'm going red, actually. Yeah, you, I'm, I'm I know. I, I, can, I can kind of feel your pain. I think we've all, we've all had moments like that, right, where you just, oh, God, what have I just done? Yeah, um, do you know what? What I love about that story more than anything else is that I thought that that was absolutely nailed on that you were going to say that you're at this kind of welcoming line, and Mr. Bond came up to you and you went, you said something like, "I've been expecting you" or something. Like that. yeah, that, that's, yeah. that's what I thought. That, that's the obvious <laughs> joke, isn't it? But uh, no, that's a, that's a cracker. Yeah, and but, you know these are 
inevitable things that happen, right, as part of oh, your yeah. growth and development. You'll never rush into a room again and just pick up a you know a, a case overzealously without checking everything first, right? Yeah. Some might say I'll never touch a suitcase ever again, Phil. Who yeah. knows? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I'm lucky enough to have a, a wife who likes loves to pack, so yeah. she's like, I'll do, I'll take care of the packing. That's fine yeah. by me. Yeah, great stuff. Well, I mean, uh, I'm just a, a little bit conscious of time, but what would you say are your your top three reasons why somebody should come and join hospitality? So I'd say, first and foremost, the first reason I say you, you're going to be part of people's best moments, you know, and that's really magic, you know, birthdays, weddings, bar mitzvahs, you know, if you've got a real true love and passion for people, how lucky are we to be involved in people's best moments? Obviously, you're involved in people's worst moments as well. I get that. But, you know, being part of people's best moments, you know, if you go and work for Barclay Card and sat in an office, you're not really going to be part of people's most celebrated and memorable moments. So I think for me, that's one. I think the other one would be, I'd use the word opportunity. So, so you know, you can grow a career in seconds. You can be far reaching, diverse. You know, you can be a chef. You can be an HR, a GM, finance home abroad, you know, uh, budget, luxury, you know, you can forge the path that you're going to go on. But my advice on that note would be, you know, find an employer who aligns with you. That That is the most important thing there. And I think, you know, the, the third thing, and we've touched on a couple of times, I, another reason to join hospitality is community. You know, I, I like to, to talk to people and I like to, you know, be out and about and surround yourself with like-minded people, you know, all over the world. Manchester's a good example. We are absolutely collaborative, you know, with with the Manchester Hoteliers Association. That is our community of hotels in Manchester. And yeah. You know, you know, that community that there's no better feeling than being in in, you know, an underprivileged community, but we're actually flying the hospitality flag in in, in a community in Manchester. And that that's a really important, important thing. So so for me, being part of people's best moments, being involved in a community. And the opportunities are endless. Yeah, and and I always just add in the fun because you're you're a great exponent of that as well. And I um you know that it kind of should go without saying, I suppose. But this industry is an awful lot of fun. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Fantastic, great stuff. Well, if people want to get a hold of you to learn about you or Dakota and where you're going next, what's uh, what's the best method for them to do that? Best thing is LinkedIn, Matt Townley, uh, but certainly drop me an email anytime. It's uh, mt at Dakota Hotels with an S dot co dot UK. Fantastic. And you, I have to say that you are, there's a lesson actually that, that uh, others could learn from you in how to deal with recruiters when they're, uh, when they're knocking on your door. Because you, I, I, I've always remembered you dealt with me wonderfully professionally, but with personality and fun. And I've always remembered that and I've always greatly respected you for that so you're an absolute shining light for this industry and in fact i probably should end with this this is a lovely this will embarrass you so no no i had um i had a quick gander on your uh, linkedin profile before we um we turned on the microphone there's a lovely uh, endorsement from kelly rickson all right uh matt is a hospitality operator who represents everything that's great with our industry i think that sums you up absolutely perfectly Thank you so much for everything you do and thank you so much for being that energy that the the industry needs. Brilliant. Thanks, Phil. No worries at all. Take care. And there we have it. 
I was thrilled to get some time with Matt and he is a great example to anyone as to what can happen to you when you have a great ethic, enjoy what you do and have a thirst for learning. We wish him continued success. We will, of course, be back next Wednesday with another cracking story from hospitality. So until then, thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next week.